0: Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you see God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I'm going to have you turn your Bibles to Esther chapter 7 if you have them. Now, I think many many of you guys are beginning to age me. There's a lot of youth here. Do you guys remember uh, a movie that was released back in 1992, back in the 1900s, called *The Few Good Men*? Yeah, I don't remember the name of the or the names of the characters of the movie, but there's a particular scene where the Jack Nicholson character is being uh, uh, question right on the witness stand by this Tom Cruise character do you remember that and there's a very famous line that came out of that movie do you guys remember what it is you want the truth it was more like you can't handle the truth right with passion and a lot of just conviction that you can't handle the truth And uh, to me, that's a very fascinating statement because I think that what's interesting about that line is the fact that many people do believe and live by that principle. That there are certain truths that you just can't handle. Therefore, I am not going to put them out there. I am going to preserve you from knowing certain truths because you can't handle the truth. Well... I think that the truth is very important, don't you? Who likes to be deceived? Who likes to be told anything but the truth? You know, I have found that my marriage thrives when I am totally honest. Because for some strange reason, if I'm ever dishonest, it comes out, right? And when it comes out from somewhere else, I get in trouble. And then what happens is I tend to try to make up stories or try to make a defense so that my trouble is limited but instead i dig myself into deeper trouble is this just me yeah elton agrees yeah sometimes we try to avoid trouble and by doing such thing we get ourselves into deeper trouble right the truth is important because the truth the bible says it sets us free all right now i had a wonderful conversation with a couple of, uh, uh, they're called elders with the Church of uh, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. They came over yesterday. In fact, they they talked to Alan first and then they came over to my house. And we had a lovely, actually a lovely conversation. We were able to talk for almost an hour and it was so cordial, it was so loving. And I have to commend them because they knew their stuff. They knew what they believed and they believed it to be true, right? but I also had my own convictions and there was a problem, there was a discrepancy. Is what I believe to be true different than what they believe to be true? And so the challenge was, and we kind of put it on the table for each of us, is, hey, either you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, or we're both wrong, but we both can't be right. There is truth, and truth is objective. It's not fluid. It is what it is, whether we like it or not. The truth is objective. It is important. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we get to this portion in Esther where it is the moment of truth. We've seen how all of this story, this whole story, chapter after chapter, first it paints a picture and then it kind of escalates the plot of the story. And we realize that there's something going on in the background, right? There's there's definitely scheming and there's wickedness and there's intentionality to for destruction here. But the question is, where's God in the picture? And we've seen God showing up, he's there, he's present, he's sovereign, he's moving. And in everything, there's this providence that comes from the Lord God Almighty himself. And here's the fact of the matter is those whom are professed to believe to be Christians, those who are children of God are represented, excuse me, representatives of the light so we are light bearers okay and the light should not be hidden the light should be put on a lamp stand Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 verse 16 through 17 no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light now I'll have I'll be the first to say this, and some of you guys may agree with me, and some of you guys perhaps are not there yet. I used to be quite the liar when I was growing up, because I had to manipulate my, my way through be able to being able to do what I wanted to do without my parents finding out, because I knew that my parents would not consent to a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And so I had to learn to lie. In my mind, I was really good at it. But the reality was, I was never good at it. They were a hundred percent aware of all of my doings <laughs> and they kind of allowed me to think that, I didn't, that, that, that they didn't know what was going on. And to this day, I am today happy to tell you that every single one of my lies and deceits has come to light. And some of them were embarrassing and some of them were highly convicting and some of them were truly punishable. But <laughs> everything has come. To light because god is faithful and he will not lead, let uh, his his followers his children remain in darkness or keep things in darkness you know sometimes we have to wonder what do i have hiding in the closet what kind of skeletons are in there and then we have to with courage address it and deal with it because the lord will not be mocked and everything will come to light because he's good He is faithful, he is true to his word, and he loves us. And because he loves us, truth will prevail. And so, to sum it up, that which is kept in secret will be revealed. And now the moment of truth will come, whether we'd like it or not. And when it does, let me ask you this. Will you be found honorably or dishonorably? What are are we hiding? Is it something that is perhaps noble and if it is why are you hiding it or is it something that's dishonorable and if it is i'm sure i know why you're hiding it today's sermon title is the moment of truth esther chapter 7 this is where the truth is put on the table no more deceit no more clues and hints let's just lay it all out now just a quick review Haman's plans have turned on him last week we talked about that turning point now he was succeeding in much he seemed to have been prevailing and achieving much. And he did what only few could do. He received that statute of, stature of prime minister. He received the signet ring from the king himself. He was the king's most trusted advisor. And so Haman achieved much. But his methods were not only selfish, but they were also wicked. And so this is a problem. But he moved in a way and he worked in a way that was very deceitful. Haman was disgustingly prideful. He was self-exalting, he was destructive, he was murderous, and he was all in all evil. And the king never knew that. How many people have we met, and you just answer this to yourself, that have classified in this regard, where they've been what I call smooth operators, but in reality, in actuality, they're far from good. And in fact, they're moving and working according to just evil nature, right? And so as Haman was on his way to request Mordecai to be executed, the tables turn on him and God's divine providence uh, kicks in and he's humbled by the exaltation of Mordecai. He goes in with a plan for destruction and he goes out with his own ideas, honoring the man whom he hated the most because God will not be mocked. And now we continue in Esther chapter 7 and it says this. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. This is the second one. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine, after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then the queen, then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted to me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold and I and my people, uh, we have been sold, uh, I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would not have been, I I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king, to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he, and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Arbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today through it, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand what you have for us, Lord. Lord, We thank you that we're even able to come together in your name and to study your word. And Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would move mightily in this place. We ask this in your name, Amen. amen. So the truth is continuing to be revealed. There's more and more truths that are being put on the table here. And this time, this is a load of truth bombs. And they're all dropped on the king because the king apparently has been oblivious to a lot of this until this moment. So let's take a closer look at how this comes about. The first thing I want to look at is how Esther's not only strategic in how she approaches the king and how she uh, breaks the news to him, but she's also courageous in her confrontation. And so that's the first thing I want to look at is courageous confrontation verses one through six. Now courage is, is like a muscle. You know, it's something that you have to exercise. You don't just become courageous one day. Although there are circumstances that encourage courage, right? But it is something that needs to be exercised. If you're more of a cowardly person, just for the lack of a better term, you're not going to become more courageous if you do nothing. But the more you act in courage, the more courageous you become. You have to train courage. You have to practice it. You have to do what is hard to do because that's exactly what courage is for, to help you do that which is hard. And Esther so far far has been doing just that. This is not her first rodeo anymore. This is now something that she's advanced in and she's become more and more courageous. Now she's already made it through several hurdles and she's gotten to this place. And this is the ultimate moment of truth. And the king wants to know because he's been left in suspense. He wants to know what this is all about. And so verse 2, the king asks, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. This is now the third time that the king offers this, you know? And so in other words, he's serious about granting Esther's wish and request because she has one favor over the king. And so Esther's clearly ready. She has the answer. She knows what the request is, but she shows uh, 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 a lot of courage in confronting this because everything that she's doing is completely open for her to be punished or destroyed. (laughs) The king has that kind of authority. If he's displeased by anything that she says, she runs the risk of dying. This is just the reality of being in front of the king, the most powerful human being that the world knew at the time. And so Esther was clearly ready to answer this question. She knows why she's confronting the king. And this isn't an easy thing to do, but she knows this is absolutely necessary. Let me ask you this, have you ever found courage to do something for someone you love? Have you uh, ever faced something courageously because you had to? I mean, the truth probably was that you were afraid to do it, and so you had to gain courage to be able to face it. Now, I'm going to confess something that I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but I don't like mice. They creep me out. I don't know what it is. I want to say that I'm not scared of them, but I act like I am. I just don't like them running around. They just, ugh, you know, insects. Even snakes, no problem. But anytime I see a mouse for some reason, it just gives me the creeps. It's, you know? And so there was one time, this is in our home in California, um, my daughter was still a baby in the crib, and the next one was still a little toddler. And so the, the kids were really little, and my wife tells me, Brandon, there's a mouse. I'm thinking, no. <laughs> I hate mice. And of course, out of the love of my children, I stand up and I act all macho like and I'm like, where's the mouse? Right? And I'm going to deal with this mouse, but inside I'm terrified, I hate mice. And so I grab the weapon of choice and I think it was a broom. And I go into the nursery because that's where the mouse had, had run into, It's where the crib was and there was little toy castles and whatnot against the wall. And I'm thinking, great, how am I going to get this mouse? I don't even have a plan, all I have is a broom. But for the love of my wife and for the love of my babies, I'm going to take this mouse out. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I'm going to face it with courage and, it, and I will come out victorious. You know, you know that feeling where you just have to gain courage to be able to deal with something you have to deal with? And so here I am, I've, I've gained courage and I step into the room and sure enough I see the little guy just... okay. And I didn't know what to do, and I see it across uh, the next, against the, the next wall, and all I could do is instinctually is rush it. And sure enough, I pushed the little toy castles towards where the mouse was, thinking I'm gonna stop it in its tracks and I'm gonna whack it and it'll be over, right? But I, I rushed the toys, I pushed them against the wall and nothing came out, and so I'm thinking, no. I'm gonna pull this open and he's gonna jump out and eat my head or something. <laughs> And so I pulled the toy castles out away from the wall, thinking, you know, and being ready to just face this little booger. And I got him. I just managed to crush him between the wall and the and the castle. And it just so happened it was like the perfect little edge because it was hollowed. It, It was just like the grace of God that he let me, you know, win in this situation. And I'm thinking, yes. You know, I did this, I gained the courage, and at that point I know that I'm better and bigger and stronger than that mouse. And I'll tell you, my wife wanted to throw me a big old party, I'm just kidding, she didn't want to do that. But that's just an example of when we need to be courageous, we need to find that courage. So I share this story because yes, I am kind of afraid of mice. I don't like that, especially rats, I hate that. But in a moment that any of these critters would dare to threaten my family, the responsibility to take care of them kicks in. And this is my silly example. There are scarier things out there that I'm sure you would face valiantly, courageously for the love of your family. And so anything that threatens my family, I will take responsibility. The courage kicks in and the willingness to take action is fueled by the love of your family, right? And so I am going to do whatever I need to do courageously. That's courage and courage overcomes fear. And so fear goes away the moment the adrenaline kicks in and you know what you're doing and for what you're doing it now you have courage and so now esther is asked to be courageous not only in front of xerxes but who else is there with them haman himself the devil himself is there and so this is definitely an act of courage for Esther to even just confront them and to say the truth and to just lay it all on the table. Esther, again, is risking her life for the love of her people and not also, and not, not, not also their people. But she, I would say that she's also uh, uh, being courageous for the love of her husband because she realizes that this man is being deceived by Haman too. And so for the love of those whom she loves, she gains courage and she does what is very difficult to do. And I I think with all my heart that we must be willing to confront evil with courage. Sometimes we see things and they're bad and they're wicked. And most of us, maybe not most of us because you guys are all amazing. Most of us sometimes are just quiet even in the midst of evil. Most of us kind of just zip the lip and... You know, whatever, wish him luck. But we must take courage and we must be willing to confront that which is ev- evil. And so let me ask you this. Did you know that every time that the words take courage are spoken in the New Testament with the exception of just one time, they've all been spoken by Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who's most notoriously known to say take courage, be courageous. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 2, he tells the paralytic man to take courage because his sins were forgiven. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 22, he tells the woman who had had the issue of bleeding to take courage because her faith had made her well. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, he tells his disciples in the boat who were afraid in the moment, he says, Take courage, because it was him who was walking on the water. It wasn't a ghost, it was him. So take courage. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, he tells the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, to take courage as he continued to preach the message of the gospel to all generations, to all nations. In other words, we can take courage, we can be courageous because of Jesus, because Uh, He is with us, and He forgives us, and He strengthens us. He will give us what we need for the moment, and He will not fail us. Now, a commentator said this so eloquently, so I'm going to share it with you. Courage is always fueled by something and for something. So by something and for something. Esther's courage was fueled by her fasting and faith and for her people's freedom. She had a mission in mind. There was a purpose and so there, therefore there's courage, and so Esther not only answers Xerxes' question, we'll continue here in verse 3, but she answers it courageously, and she does it masterfully, because she has been strategized. she's been thinking through this, she's prepared, and the, the, the Spirit of God is with her, verse 3, then Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, now notice how she's uh requesting or bringing about her request she was not at all demanding she's being very patient with the king here she was exemplar with humility and very personal she's really connecting with the king she's she's really interested in the whole thing going well there's no room for mistake here and so i would say that Uh, If she just came in guns a-blazing, things would have been different. But she's very intentional about what she's saying. And so her response to King Xerxes' two questions, his two questions were, as as we read in verse 3, what is your wish and what is your request? And so Esther says in verse 3, let my life be granted for my wish. That's my wish. I want to be able to live and my people for my request. And I want my people to also be able to live for my request. Now this is interesting, what do you mean? This is actually how Esther reveals herself to be a Jew. She says, let my life be granted and my people. Esther's revealing her Jewish identity, but Xerxes isn't quite understanding what's going on yet. And so she continues in verse four, for we have been sold, I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated is what she says. Notice that Esther just got very specific. She's not beating around the bush anymore. She's telling him what it is. She uses the exact wording from the edict that Haman had passed against the Jews. She's saying exactly how it is. And so Xerxes, however, uh, it seems still fully not understanding. And I think because he probably wasn't fully aware of this edict. Remember that he just pawned it off on Haman. He's like, yeah, yeah, just do what you wish. And remember how Haman was really vague about the whole edict in the beginning and so it seems like Xerxes is a little bit confused. King Ahasuerus is not quite sure what's going on here and he's just not aware of this edict but Haman was. Haman knew exactly what was going on and so Esther continues, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared to the loss to the king. In other words, I wouldn't even trouble you or waste your time about this if, if there's anything else." But we're talking mass genocide, and that includes me, your wife. That's essentially what she's saying. And so, again, notice the carefully crafted approach. She didn't come with guns blazing, and she didn't come with an uncontrollable anger because I probably would have been super angry just to have Haman in front of me, right? She didn't have a, a discomposure, if that's even a word. She was well composed, right, and she didn't immediately even mention Haman. She's just laying out the facts because if she had done any of that, I believe that it most likely would have turned into an argument and it would have given Haman the opportunity to try to defend himself. And we know that Haman was a very crafty and deceitful man. And so I think that she's being very intentional, very careful, and she's trying to get the message here because up until this point, Xerxes had fully trusted Haman and things needed to be, turned around. And so Esther knew this had to go absolutely well. And so she needed to make sure she approached Xerxes with grace, with patience, and with clarity. And so uh, very similar to like Nathan, the prophet in the time of David. Remember when David um, messed, messed up big time with Bathsheba? The prophet Nathan comes to him and he reveals all that had happened to David and he did it in a way that was very graceful so that David was able to see his uh, transgression, he was able to realize, wow, I fell short there. That is so important. When we confront people, we need to do it with grace. We need to do it with humility we need to do it lovingly and not just in a way where we feel like we're loving but in a way that they also know that they're being cared for and loved it's very important so that they receive that message so that they're not um, uh, defensive about it also because it's so important for us to recognize our sins and be able to deal with them and so again esther's painting the picture And Xerxes is beginning to understand the gravity of this issue. And he also knows that this could not have happened, this edict could not have happened without him being aware of it. And so I'm thinking, okay, he's putting the two and two together. There must have been approval. Therefore, one of his advisors conspired this and probably deceived him or didn't give him the details that were necessary. And so he's beginning to realize that someone has been taking advantage of him. And, of course, who likes that? Nobody likes that. Verse 5. Then King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes says to Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? Now, according to this text, if you read here, Xerxes doesn't know who's responsible for this edict, but me, me personally, I personally speculate that Xerxes was beginning to put the pieces together. And at this point, he just needed to hear the truth. Like sometimes when we know something, we just need to hear it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what? Tell me Just tell me, point blank. I need to know, cut and dry. Ecclesiastes 3, 7 tells us that there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. This was the time for Haman to keep silent. And this is now the time for Esther to speak. And Xerxes is ready for for that next moment of truth. And then verse 6, Esther says, a foe and an enemy. That's his description. That's what he deserves. This wicked Haman is the one. Finally, she called him out directly and to his face. But in that moment, it seemed that Xerxes couldn't actually handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, he walked away. You would imagine that he could handle the truth, but he walked away. And so I can only imagine what Esther was feeling. Like, what? I just broke it to you and you just left? Why did he walk away though? I think it's because Xerxes is now experiencing confusion and betrayal based on the situation here. Let's look at the next section, confusion and betrayal. It was no longer confusion of what had happened, but rather, how could this have happened? Have you ever had that situation? It's like you understand what happened. Okay, no doubt there. But how could this have happened? How did I not see this coming? Why am I surprised about this? It's confusing in that regard. Verse 7, and the king arose in his wrath from the uh, wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he had saw that harm was determined against the king or against him by the king. In other words, the king felt betrayed. He felt hurt. He felt confused. I don't know what he's dealing with. He's probably emotional at the time because his most trusted advisor is the culprit of this whole thing. And he's even risked his wife's life. Not only did he receive or deceive, or did Haman re- deceive Xerxes, Xerxes, remember he was totally dependent on people's counsel. He rarely made his own decisions, and he felt like he was perhaps deceived by Haman, his most trusted advisor. He was like one tossed about by the waves, by whomever would capture his attention and to his detriment. So let me ask you this, what about you? Who is influencing you to do what you do? We're all influenced by something or someone. Who is influencing you to do what you're doing? We should be mindful of who we're being influenced by. This is why it was written in Ephesians 4, through 14, He gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of, of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about every wind of, the, uh, of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheme. Because the fact of the matter is, people are going to be deceitful always. People are going to tell us, someone's going to tell us something that sounds good to us in the moment. And we're going to think, yeah, that's it. That's great. But we need to be aware of what we're hearing we need to be conscientious of what the word is saying the word of the lord is saying so that we're careful and we're not tossed to and fro by the winds and whatever counsel whatever things people tell us we need to be able to stand in truth and recognize this otherwise we'll be caught off guard constantly confused and feeling betrayed now as christians we cannot have a whatever mentality or attitude about the things that defame god now, why am I saying this? Is because if you know that something is wrong in that council, if someone's saying something that, well, that's not true about him, that's something that's actually defaming to Christ, we, we, we shouldn't have a mentality that says, oh, whatever. You know, we need to be able to say, wait, 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 that's not right. That's not what the Lord says. That's not what he says about me or about you or about the situation, whatever it may be. We cannot have a very dismissive attitude about lies. Does that make sense? The truth is important. The truth needs to come out. Now, Xerxes was baffled that Haman didn't behave in the interest of the king. And he saw that Haman was more interested in his own honor and self-gain. The man that he trusted the most is now the man that he trusts the least. Now, if I didn't trust a man, I would never leave my wife alone with that man, would you? And he just walked away and left his wife alone with that man. And so that's probably why Xerxes thought, I need to go back there. Because he just stormed off. Verse 8, And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, it just so happened that the moment that King Xerxes walks in, Haman is falling on Esther, right? Now, he didn't know that Haman was trying to beg for his life. But what that looked like, it didn't look good for, for Haman. Absolutely not. And so in just a matter of a moment, Haman went, from being an enemy of the Jews to also being an enemy of the king of Persia, the most powerful man in that known world. And Haman, Haman just made it very personal against the king as well. And so not only was Xerxes betrayed by Haman, he is now personally offended by him because he's touching the queen. How dare you? You really are a sneaky snake. You know, verse 8, and the king said, will you even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left his mouth, the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. And so Haman's sin has been totally exposed, yes? And it is now going to be dealt with, praise the Lord. Sin never lets you know that it's leading you into a life-ending trap. Did you know that? It never lets you know, it's never letting you anticipate that there's gonna be a problem ahead. That's the problem with sin, is we think we can get away with it. We think that there's not gonna be a problem, no one's ever gonna catch us, and I can just go on with my merry life, even though there's sin there. But sin actually leads us to a life-ending trap. If it's not now, it is for eternity. And so we need to be very conscientious of the fact that sin will not be hidden. It will come to life and it will be dealt with whether we like it or not. Haman didn't see this coming for himself. In fact, let's get into this final section and its consequences. The last part of this passage. Everything that we do comes with a consequence. Yes. For every action, there's a reaction. The first thing that I like to note is that Haman didn't see this coming. He was surprised by his exposure. Remember how happy and proud he was at the fact that he was invited to this banquet in the first place? He was so puffed up about it. He was bragging about it. And boy, if he knew the reality behind this banquet, he would have been terrified from the start. Perhaps he would have even avoided it entirely. Verse 6 tells us that Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Again, he never imagined that his sinful deeds would ever cost him anything he must not have been aware of passages like Proverbs five twenty-two through twenty-three. Everyone, pay attention because it's important for us to know this one. The iniquities of the world, of the of the wicked, ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Haman certainly made a mess of himself, didn't he? He got lost in his own sin. Sin compels us to only think of ourselves and what we want. But holiness, and this is what we need to chase after, compels us to think of others and their needs. Sin is very selfish. Holiness, sanctification is very selfless. And I think that too often we are much like Haman, constantly attempting to avoid consequences. And and we're, we're, we're very seldom willing to confess to our wrongdoings. And so instead of getting up and following the king, that's what Haman probably should have done. If the king walked away, if I were Haman, I probably would have gone after the king and tried to like, explain myself. But instead, he falls on the queen. Instead of coming clean and confessing his trans- transgressions, he tries to beg and work his way out with the queen, right? And this was a huge problem, and, and he falls and he actually touches the queen. And did you know that this was a huge, huge illegal act? You could not touch the queen. Persian law stated that no one was allowed to be within a few steps of the queen. She was like sacred. And so here he is falling on her, whoa, huge offense. Now only her maidservants could touch her and the king himself without permission. Otherwise, that's the kind of of protection that the queen had. And so what Haman just did was completely out of line. And so here's the thing. Sometimes when our sin is exposed, instead of coming clean, we act weird. We do things without thinking through them, right? We do things. We dig our own graves like Haman did in this regard. And so, again, let me just remind you, what is kept in secret, the Lord will reveal. It is not worth making efforts or building up efforts to try to conceal it to hide it let's just come clean galatians 6 7 do not be deceived god was not mocked for whatever one sows that also he will reap verse 9 we'll finish here soon then harbona one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king said moreover the gallows that wooden beam that haman has prepared for mordecai whose word saved the king is standing at his house 50 cubits high that's 75 feet high and then king said hang him on that how convenient he's already set it up let's do it it's literally digging his own grave do you see that and so what do we what do we learn from this passage let me finish verse 10 so they hanged haman on the gallows that he had prepared for mordecai that's ironic and then the wrath of the king abated so what do we learn well, the first takeaway that I have for you is this. The gospel of Jesus is worth personal risk. The gospel of Jesus is worth personal risk. And I mean, if you're the, you have a message of salvation and you're trying to save someone because you know that they're in danger, it's worth you risking your comfort, risking whatever resource that you have for the love of that person. It's worth having the courage to confront the evil so that that person could be saved. All right. I, I heard this beautiful example uh, in a video that I was watching the other day, and, it, and it, was, it was great. It was like, imagine that your friend is walking on the train tracks just enjoying his life. He's got big old uh, headphones uh, around his ear and he can't hear anything except for what he's listening to through those headphones, and behind them the train is coming. What are you going to do? Wish him well? No, you're probably going to yell at him. I'm not telling you to yell at people, right? But you're probably going to try to get his attention you're probably going to tell him, hey, you're about to die. You have to get out of the train track. And so other people who may not be seeing the reality that the train is behind him and upon him will probably wonder, why are you being so rude to that guy? Why are you just bothering him? Why can't you just leave him alone? No, because he's in danger. And so it is worth to make people sometimes a little bit uncomfortable for the purpose of their salvation. So the gospel of Jesus is worth personal risk. Takeaway number two, take a stand against evil, don't be a practitioner of it. If there's something wrong going on, if someone is doing something, don't join them. Take a stand against that. So kids, this will be your takeaway. If someone's doing something bad, don't do it with them. Deal with it the way that you're supposed to tell someone who can deal with it. But the best thing you can do is get away from that. Don't practice it. Takeaway number three, intercede and serve one another. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to be able and we need to be willing to intercede. That means to pray for one another, to fast for one another, to serve one another, to look for the best interest of others. Because that's what the Lord has called us to. That is a display of of active love and that's the only way one of the only ways that people will know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ and so I want to take a moment to self-evaluate and I have a couple of questions for you just this is self-examine don't point at anybody what don't others know about you if your life was exposed would it inspire or would it disgust think about that what do you have hiding? What's in the clo- what skeletons are stored away in the closet? What don't others know about you? If your life was exposed, would it inspire or disgust? Now, before I close, did you notice that Xerxes' wrath was satisfied by Haman's death? Do you notice that very last line? Oh, type and shadow of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was also satisfied by death. And this is so interesting is that until justice was served, until this wicked Haman was hung and his sin and his transgression was dealt with, the wrath of the king was on fire, right? But the moment that Haman was put to justice, the wrath of the king abated. Now, likewise, the wrath of God was on Christ, not because Christ was deserving of it, but because he took on our sin all of the iniquities that we owed you know to the 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 punishment for he took upon himself and so the wrath of god was satisfied the moment that those those sins were dealt with and paid for that's why the cross is such a big deal and until that happened which jesus willingly went to the cross to the sacrifice understanding that unless this sin is dealt with the wrath of god will never be satisfied before that all you had every year you had to bring a sacrifice To deal with your transgressions year after year after year it was never really satisfied until that moment where the perfect lamb of god takes the sin of the world and dies in our place that's called propitiation a substitution an atoning sacrifice that his righteousness righteousness would be counted to you and so the lord god almighty is no longer angry at you. That is so wonderful. Does he hate sin? Absolutely. But Christ has eradicated that. He has uh, reconciled us to the Father. And so regardless of what has happened in the past Perhaps we're feeling guilty. Perhaps we're thinking, yeah, there's some skeletons in the closet. Do you know that the Lord is ready and willing to forgive you? But we need to come to him with repentance. We need to come with him, to him with the understanding that Christ has already suffered the penalty for that sin. And we need to receive that beautiful and precious gift that Christ, comes from Christ alone. And God is so willing and ready to forgive us, to receive us, to reconcile us to himself. And so in that regard, let me just... Just, re, just, I cannot emphasize this enough. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is what's important. It's not worth hiding it. It's not worth concealing it. It's not worth uh, disregarding it. It is worth confronting it. It is worth talking through it. It is worth coming to the Lord clean about it. And it is worth dealing with it so that forgiveness can be found, so that reconciliation could be found. And from that also comes restoration that's beautiful and what's happened here i think there's a lot to learn from and so i hope that you understand this courage that we see here because to address sin requires much courage and that courage only comes from our lord and savior jesus christ who provides it generously amen let's pray lord thank you so much for your word today father we thank you that you are a just god and that you were so gracious to us, even though we have transgressed against you, even though we have fallen short, we all have fallen short of your glory, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word and this example that we have in Esther, Lord, who just so valiantly faced what was evil, and she laid the truth out. Father, move, Lord Jesus in our lives, and that we would be that light that shines, that exposes things, Father, but with grace, with mercy and love. We ask this in your name. Amen.